Hey everybody and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host Jonathan and this is DCI number 71. In this episode, Brian and I talked to Jenna Hofstein, who is the one-woman developer behind Counting Kingdom, which is a, a game that is seeking to resurrect edutainment. Now, that's not the crappy edutainment of the past couple of years. That's the good edutainment, like where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. So, I'm all for it, and I think you will be too. To find out more information about the game, you can check out the show notes to this episode on DarkStation.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at DarkStation underscore com to see when all of our interviews like this are going up, and you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Finally, you can send us an email at podcast at darkstation.com. As always, thank you for listening. Now on with the show. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I am trying to stop myself from getting a cold, so I've already taken medication, so if I fall asleep in the middle of this interview, I totally apologize, but, you know, it's it's, it's what we have to do at this point We'll soldier year. on and promise not to mention it too oh much. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad we're on not in the same room because I just came from Montreal, and previous to that I was in Texas, and I always get sick when I travel, so I have just mm. been chugging and- orange juice at astonishing rates, so... Fingers crossed that I don't get sick. Yeah, that that would be that would be bad, and that that's two very different climates. I could see that yeah. like being kind of bad going back and forth between those two. Packing was uh, quite a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, I better not stay any longer in Texas because then otherwise I'm going to be sweating to death and dying. So yeah, I had to bring it's... a couple things from like every drawer in my wardrobe. It's like <laughs> t-shirts and my winter jacket. Uh, I live in Georgia, and I, I really don't even have a winter jacket. It's it's kind of sad. <laughs> I live in Florida. What's winter? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys got to come up to New England. We'll we'll show you a proper winter. I would love to. I have never – this has been said many times. I have never actually seen snow. So every time I've traveled north, it's always snowed, like, the day or two after I've mm. left. So snow? I am I'm, I'm extremely jealous of, of the, the white stuff that falls on northerners' heads. <laughs> Yeah, we- Snow is this magical, wonderful thing when it's happening, but then a day later, if you're living in the city anyways, a day later, all the cars have just turned it into this gross brown sludge, mm-hmm. so it only really retains its magical qualities for about 24 hours. See, but we, we didn't get none of that magical quality at all, <laughs> because like we, we get snow some in Georgia, but it always disappears about 30 minutes later. Like if if you get snow that's enough to make a snowman, like that's that's special. That <laughs> happens very rarely. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh but uh I from everyone that I know that lives in um you know uh northeastern part of the country, my brother and sister in law used to, to live up there and they my brother loved snow for like a week. And mm. then after that he was like, I never wanna see snow again. And I just want the opportunity to, to get to that. I want to have that experience. I want Walk to never want it. snow again. Uh, I've always wanted to be snowed in somewhere mm. and have that scene where you open the front door and there's just a solid wall of snow and you just kind of <laughs> close the door again and it's like, okay, I'm staying in. You have to go a little further north in Boston for that generally. That's okay. But... <laughs> I'll go to Canada. That's fine. <laughs> I actually I have this, I have this secret wish to, to live in Canada. It's, I don't know where it comes from. Canada's great uh, as my – I just had two days in Canada. I haven't been there since middle school. But my two days in mm. Canada were fantastic. I enjoyed it while it was there. I was amazed, at least in Montreal, how quickly everybody flips between French and English. As Ooh. a non-French speaker, it was like this wonderful, magical thing that I've never seen before. That that does sound awesome. But it would also be kind of confusing and just, I guess, kind of make you feel like an outsider. It's like they could be talking about me. <laughs> they probably aren't. No, they're Canadians. They're well, nice. Canada. They're not, they're, they're not about talking about me. They're all nice. They're complimenting me behind <laughs> yeah, my back. they're saying nice things about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, isn't she sweet, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't hear anybody say A until my last night there, and I was really, really disappointed, and then somebody finally said it, and I think I freaked them out because I was just like, Oh my god, I can't believe you just said that. 
And I think I made them feel super self-conscious. But, like, I'd been waiting for it the whole trip. And so I'm, I'm glad I got to experience it at least once. Yeah, that person's probably never going to say A again for the rest of their life. <laughs> I, I may have traumatized, <laughs> traumatized them just them. a little bit, but I, w- I was pretty excited. That's awesome. That is that is so <laughs> great. Uh, but we're, we're not actually here to talk about Canada despite the past like five minutes of this conversation. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about counting kingdoms. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about who you are, Jenna, and what you do at uh, um, Little Worlds Interactive. Sure. So I am the founder of Little Worlds Interactive. Uh, Full time, it's just me. So I wear a multitude of different hats. Primarily, all the hats. Yeah, quite quite a number of hats. Uh, Primarily, I do design and development, but I also do a lot of the miscellaneous, like biz dev slash marketing slash kind of just whatever else has to be done. Slash Um, janitorial work slash mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes (laughs) my boss is kind of a jerk, but you know that's. That's just how it goes. That's what uh, I hear, but I, I hear they usually give you the day off when you when you have that kind of situation. If you really uh, ask for it, you have to ask really nice. Yeah. You know, depend depends on the boss's mood. <laughs> <laughs> but I am very fortunate to have a number of incredibly talented contractors that I work with. Um, so I have folks who do the art, the audio, the animation, and the music, um, as well as help out a lot with the PR and marketing. So. Full-time, it's kind of just me, but I have this nice support group of folks who pitch in as well. Very cool. So how did you make the decision to go into one man or one woman game studio? Uh, What kind of led to that? Uh, So I've been in the industry for about eight years, and about two years ago, I was laid off from my job, um, as happens in the game industry, not a very unusual thing. Hmm. Uh, and I'd been wanting to go, I'd been like intrigued by this indie space for about six months to a year leading up to that. But I wasn't quite brave enough to take the plunge and say, salary, who needs salary? I'm just going to go <laughs> and spend the next year making my own thing without any guarantee it's going to work at all. Um so getting laid off, the timing kind of just worked out where I'd really been wanting to try this indie thing, uh, and the universe kind of just kicked me in the butt and said, go try. Uh, so I I kind of floundered for a little bit. Well, not floundered, but I spent the first couple months just really kind of looking in a lot of different directions, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, because one of the interesting things about being an indie is there's an infinite possibility space. There is nobody coming to you and saying, here's the project you have to work on. So you really have to figure out what exactly is your passion? What exactly do you want to spend the next you know, six months, year, year and a half, or even longer dedicating yourself to? Uh, and one of the things that I found, I really wanted to just do something that was... Uh, it sounds super corny, but I wanted to do something that was a little bit more meaningful. I'd spent a number of years working on more entertainment-focused games, which are awesome. But in terms of just kind of where I want my career to go, I wanted to have some sort of a greater impact on people. Um, and so educational games was kind of where I ended up taking that. Awesome. That is, that is really cool. So I, I guess I guess at the point when it's like, you know, I'm not going to have a salary anyway, so I might as well make something awesome with that. No Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, the idea that I'm making something that can have a positive impact on children, mm-hmm. like that just blows my mind every day. Every time I hear from a parent that their kid is loving it, um, it just – there's something very, very special in that moment. I have a friend who has a four-year-old, and this is probably my favorite feedback I have gotten from anybody he said his four-year-old was enjoying the game so much that in his off time, he was practicing math so that he could get better at the game. <laughs> right? <laughs> that is fantastic. It was, it was a beautiful moment. And that, like, to this day, that's probably just, just my favorite thing that I've heard about the game. And the idea that I'm, the idea that I'm creating something that can have that kind of an impact on kids mm-hmm. um, is just is just wonderful. And even if in the long term this doesn't end up being financially successful, the fact that I've been able to do that, um, you know, makes it all worth it for me. Absolutely. Now, I so 
was the do you have a, a passion for for math or something? Is that one of the subjects that you really enjoyed? Because I, I imagine kind of picking what game that you want to work on and kind of laying all that stuff out is one incredibly liberating when you're your own boss. But I also imagine <laughs> it being so daunting because it's a lot easier to do what somebody tells you than figure mm-hmm. out what to do yourself. <laughs> Yeah, so there are a couple different reasons I went with math. Uh, The first is that it seems to be a real anxiety point for parents where, you know, and I'm I'm not saying this is a good thing, but if you have a kid and they're not good at music, there isn't the same sense that their future is in jeopardy as Mm. there is if they're not good at math. Like that's seen as such kind of a fundamental skill set that people people get really stressed out, you know, when their kids are just not excelling in this area. So it seemed like like a way that I could help kind of resolve some of that anxiety for parents and for kids. You know, a lot of kids, they hit fractions and they just decide that math is something they have no interest in. Um, So a lot of kids, even at a young age, learn to hate math in a way we don't really see with other topics. So I was hoping I could do something good there. Yeah, a lot. (laughs) I think a lot of us were. And then math also just lends itself very, very nicely to game development because it already is a system of rules. So when I'm building the Counting Kingdom, I don't have to teach my game or the computer that two plus two equals four. You know, the game, that system is already built into the computer. So I can build on top of that. If I was making an English game, for example, I would have to teach my game that uh, purple banana roller coaster doesn't make sense. That's not something a computer inherently understands. So tackling a math game as our first one uh, just helped kind of give us a leg up in terms of a lot of that work was already done for us. Mm-hmm. So let's get down to brass tacks here. Um, sure. One, where is the Counting Kingdom? And two, um, why have has there not been an invitation for Count Von Count to take up <laughs> residence there? Well, uh, the Counting Kingdom is in the astral mathematical plane of existence mathematical <laughs> i was kicked out of that plane at the age of eight i like that <laughs> and uh count von count has been invited multiple times to feature in the counting kingdom and just never um replied to our invitation i was pretty upset it's busy how many numbers did you put in the the invitation probably too few that may yeah. have been the problem mm. We'll reconsider that for the next time we send it out. <laughs> so what's what's going on on this uh, this math magical plane? Because that is a great word that I will throw <laughs> at all of my math major friends. So the story of the Counting Kingdom is very very simple. You are the wizard's apprentice, and you study uh, the magic that is math. And one day the so is, that, very... is that magic? Matt, you can contract that. Don't, no, don't. Okay, no, I, I was making sure. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't going to be supportive of Mathjik. Um, mathematical, totally supportive of Mathjik. I, I just want to make sure we weren't going overboard with our math puns. We, we draw hard lines here on the dark cast. Well, thank goodness, you got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> so basically the monsters attack the kingdom and it is your job to go from castle to castle across the land and defend them from the monsters. Fortunately, these monsters all have numbers on their stomachs, so you can use <laughs> your math magic to banish them from the kingdom. So is there is there a lore reason that the monsters have numbers or is that like a birthmark or what what's the <laughs> There Currently is no more reason. I'm sure we could come up with something. If you want to uh, use birthmark, then that that's totally you can have that for free. We, we won't even birthmark. ask for royalties on it this time. All right, I'll I'll consider that for the next <laughs> one. <laughs> so yeah, that's the game. The the basic the where it came from is I really sat down. I have a paper prototyping kit, which is a lot of board gaming pieces that I've kind of cannibalized from old board games over the years some markers, some big pieces of paper. It's kind of like just my big crafting set. And I sat down and tried to think of what can I do with addition that is interesting. So how how can I place these numbers together in a way that's not just 2 plus 2 equals 4, but is still fundamentally addition. And so that's where the, the grid layout came from. That's where the right-to-left tower defense mechanic came from. And that's where I saw the spell casting 
uh, mechanic came from was just that question of how can I create something that lets you do addition in a way that's very strategic. So, so what are kind of the the, the base mechanics of it? Because if, if you watch the trailer, it's it seems kind of reminiscent of something like uh, Plants vs Zombies. Yeah, absolutely. I actually really like to describe it as Plants vs Zombies meets Math Blasters. So okay. That, now you're talking my language. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of inspiration in terms of um, tone certainly came from Plants vs Zombies because I think PopCap did a beautiful job with that game in terms of creating just like this fun, lighthearted, kind of ridiculous world where it makes sense that plants are throwing peas at zombies and that somehow stops winning (laughs) not just throwing them but winning the war right exactly (laughs) so i I really appreciate just that kind of fun goofy tone um but so the way the counting kingdom works is you have it's kind of hard to explain without referencing um some sort of visual but basically you have a four by four grid monsters come in from the right so there's the same lane mechanic as they're in as there is in Plants vs. Zombies, so monsters will stay in their lane. And then there are four towers on the left. The important thing here is that it's turn-based, so the monsters won't move until you cast a spell. And that was really important for me, especially for those kids who are not 100% comfortable with math. I didn't want to create something that would frustrate them even more. Hmm. So Yeah, putting if- a... I found, especially with uh, with with my kid, as, mm-hmm. he, as he was growing up and going through school, that putting... Even suggesting... That there was a time limit, oh, so stressful. Completely freaked him out. Yeah, and that so even if you, so to like to train him for like the you know the 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 multiplication table quizzes and that kind of stuff where that you know mm-hmm. the teacher does time you to make sure that you're getting that stuff down. Is we almost had like a stealth timer that was there. So to hear <laughs> that this is that this is turn based that they could look at it and, and take their time and study it to make sure that they're doing the right thing. That's really cool. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I heard that same story from a lot of teachers and a lot of parents. So if a kid does want to go through it very, very quickly, that option is there, but it's not forced on them. Um, so the monsters come in from the right, trying to defend the towers on the left. And if you kind of visualize that 4 by 4 grid, what you want to do is select monsters next to each other. So that's the trick, is the monsters need to be connected. And it can be up, down, left, or right. It can be as many monsters as you want. But you're trying to find a group of monsters whose sum adds up to one of your three spells so you might have like a let's say you have a one monster and a two monster and a five monster and they're all next to each other you could potentially cast a three spell on those an eight spell a seven spell a five spell so it really kind of depends on what mix of monsters you have and what spells you have at that current time and then on top of that you can uh, recycle a spell to get a new one you can combine spells to make bigger ones, and then you'll also have potions, which are basically just power-ups, and you can use those on the monsters whenever you want. Very cool. So the the monsters have to be adjacent. Is that the just the four cardinal directions, mm-hmm. uh, not diagonal or anything yep. weird like that? Okay. Uh, and you can you said you can use a five on a five, so you don't you don't actually have to add monsters together. You could just use a spell on a monster of the same value as the spell. Yep, it'll work. Okay. Strategically, it's generally not a good idea because sure. you'll be getting, you know, probably more monsters per uh, wave than you're casting at that point. So you'll get overwhelmed pretty quickly. Sure. But, you know, if that's what you want to do, then the game totally <laughs> supports that. So what are all the, the power-ups doing? Uh, if you have monsters, you know, that you want to add together, are there power-ups that let you do that even if they're not, you know, adjacent or... Yeah, absolutely. So there are, you'll start the game with uh, two potions and then you'll unlock six more for a total of eight by the end of the game. So you start with the very basic plus one, plus two potions. And so you're just adding those to the monsters to adjust their numbers at that point. Mm. Um, But later on in the game, you'll get a move potion. So you can move a monster one spot in any direction. You'll get a freeze potion. So you can freeze a whole row of monsters for two turns. Uh, that's particularly helpful if you have a row that's threatening your castles and you can't quite figure out how to banish them. It gives you just a little bit of leeway. Because um, for some reason you used a whole spell on one monster earlier because... Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're making up for your previous terrible decisions. <laughs> yeah, so there, there's a bunch of different potions. What else is there? Um, oh, a zero potion, which lets you drop a monster's number to zero. That's super helpful later in the game because there are doubling tiles 
So if you have, let's say, a 12 monster that jumps onto a doubling tile and it's now a 24, sometimes it's nice to have that zero potion on hand just to drop it back down to zero. Hmm. Very cool. That's a good connector. Yes. <laughs> Make, yes. Yeah, exactly. I gotcha. Instead of having to <laughs> deal with 24 and being like, oh my god, there's now yeah. it's zero. It's not um, quite as scary as zero monster. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the buttered popcorn jelly bean of monsters. <laughs> Zero sum. Okay. Yes, exactly. Now, uh, the game's been out on Steam and, and PC for, for a while. Mm-hmm. August, September? Um, but uh, just recently, you launched on iOS. It did last Thursday. So, what? I, I mean, just kind of from looking at the game, it, it looks like the kind of game you would want to play on a you know phone or tablet kind of mm-hmm. in your hands. Uh, but what was it kind of like making the decision to, to move there? Was that part of the the beginning process? You wanted to do that in the end? Um, and then what was it like kind of actually transitioning from a computer to a tablet? Absolutely. It was always part of the long-term plan. I knew that I wanted to launch on both uh, PC, Mac, and iOS. And so it was really just a question of sort of which one do we do first? So the transition was very easy, mostly because I had been building that from the ground up. I think the biggest task that I had uh, between those two launches was localizing the games, which was, I mean, just not the most fun game development task I've ever faced. I'm glad we did it, but it really was, um, you know, there are fun, juicy design problems, and then sometimes there's just a week of implementing, like, not fun work so that that was one of those weeks um but overall it went very smoothly and i think it was very exciting to get on steam but there are obviously quite a lot more kids that are um playing games on ios so it was very exciting to launch there as well very cool yeah i can't imagine um sitting my niece or nephew down in front of steam and trying to get them to to play a game like this (laughs) Well, it's been Much really easier just to hand my iPad or something over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been very interesting because about half of our reviews from Steam have been from adults who are just enjoying it as a simple, simple number. Sim- oh, English. <laughs> simple and that, number that's why puzzle. it's not an English game. That's precisely, yes. I still have to work <laughs> on my own English before I can make a game about it. <laughs> but yeah, so that's been really fun. I think my approach from the very beginning has been kind of like a, a Pixar aesthetic where I'm targeting the game at kids, but I tried to make the mechanics as engaging as possible so that it's something that adults could really enjoy as well. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's the goal anyway. It also looks absolutely adorable. <laughs> there's Thank a, you. There's a real kind of like softness to the art that, mm-hmm. that really it's, it's kind of eye catching. And so it's, it, it was, it was neat to see that kind of show up on steam, but I definitely think in that mobile space that it's it's really going to take off because that's just that's the kind of thing that you see in the app store and are like oh you know what that actually looks like it's it's something of quality. Yeah, well, thank you. The artist that we're working with is just unbelievably talented, and every time he sends me new stuff, it's just beautiful and astonishingly great. And especially as somebody who really can't draw, I'm very <laughs> grateful to have a very high quality artist working on the game. Well, you're in good company, so it's it's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we talk because there's there's no, there's no drawing here. This is not a visual medium. No, no, no. Thankfully, we don't have any cameras either. This is this would be very bad. <laughs> uh, voice not even fit for radio. All right. <laughs> so uh, as I was kind of looking at the the game over the past few days, um, it it really reminds me of i guess the mid to late 90s when we had just tons of edutainment games mm-hmm. uh when you know things like where in the world and us is carmen san diego and stuff like that were coming out and hugely popular and i started trying to find those games like what happened to the learning company uh it's like th- mm-hmm. there are none of those now so that is exactly why i'm doing this <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I grew up with those games. I was in like exactly the right age range to get into gaming when those kind of peaked. Mm -hmm. And I don't know too much about the history of it, but I believe what happened is those games came out. They made quite a lot of money. 
And then people realized that there was money in that industry. And so those, those companies got acquired and a ton of money was poured into educational gaming, which resulted in a very high number of very low quality games coming yes. out. And then it collapsed. The entire thing collapsed and has yet to fully recover. So I think we're moving in the right direction now. We, every year you see more sales coming out of the educational category. But I don't think we're 100% there quite yet. And what really, what really spurred me to do educational games was I kind of accidentally stumbled upon the educational category in the App Store. And at first I was super excited. I was like, oh, I have all these great memories of Carmen Sandiego, of Treasure Mountain, mm. of Logical Journey of the Zumbinis. And I wanted to see what the were Zumbinis, the modern yes. equivalents. You know, what, what did we, that was a great game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do we have now? And for the older kids, there are very, very few high-quality games. For the younger kids, there are some great toys, I would call them. Like, Tokoboka makes very, very high-quality apps. But when you get past the age of six or so, in my opinion, the quality just drops significantly. And so I thought that this was potentially a design problem where I could really jump in and have a positive impact. And I wanted... You know, again, this sounds super corny, but I would love kids that are growing up now to have the same wonderful experience with educational games that I did growing up. Awesome. Um, as, do you feel like there's anything, um, I don't know, maybe just with the where the industry is in terms of video games or technology with things like iPads, is, is there anything in particular that makes it feel like now is the right time to, to kind of be bringing this back or has it just been something that it just needed somebody to spearhead it in a sense because there's just been nothing um i think that i think a lot of it has to do with the technology as it becomes more and more accessible to kids and to schools we're just seeing um a lot more technology in general in the classroom and the game development technology has also become very, very accessible. So I'm not a programmer, but I'm able to use visual scripting tools to develop games. And so for somebody like me, five years ago, I would not have been able to do this without learning programming. But the barrier to entry for making games is much, for, for making and distributing games is much, much, much lower now. So anybody can make something and put it on the App Store for, you know, I think it's like $99 a year for a developer account. Um, so it results in a lot, a lot of stuff, and a lot of it is going to be very low quality. But hopefully, we we get more and more gems coming out of that as well. Sure. Uh, well, I feel like it's um, it might be seemingly the same thing that happened and caused education educational games to collapse. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of the reverse because instead of just funding a lot of money into it to the point where there's so much just crap that it all falls apart, that mm -hmm. because the barrier to entry, even though there's going to be a lot of crap, like that means the people who really want to do it and can be passionate about it can actually do what they're passionate about. Exactly. And I think one of the things that led to that collapse was so much money was being poured into the companies and the sales from the games just couldn't keep pace with, with those expectations, with the amount of money coming into the company. Um, and so I think the, the investment just outstripped the actual sales figures. I believe, I believe I need to do a little bit more research, but that's from what I've read. It seems like that's what happened. Well, it makes sense. I mean, that's essentially what happened with Atari, you know, what, mm -hmm. 25, almost 30 years ago. Wow. That's, that's a long time. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So with the with the success of the Counting Kingdoms, um, are is, are there any plans for trips to other kingdoms like Subtractonia or Multiple Metropolis? <laughs> uh, yes. So one of the very interesting things. So a lot of the feedback that I've been getting from folks is just that they want more, which is great. You know, people saying that they want more levels in the game, or they want it to be subtraction, or multiplication, or division. Um, so it's great to hear that feedback. The downside is that while it looks like it would be very easy to just swap out a different operator in the game, it actually mechanically would kind of fall apart. So unfortunately, I can't just 
kind of redo the game but with multiplication or redo the game with division. So for the next game, probably going to stick with math. All signs are pointing towards yes on that. Um, but mechanically, it would have to be very different. I, you know, the mechanics were great for what they were built for, basic addition. They do not work for anything else. Unfortunately, it would make my life much easier if they did. Yeah, math just, I guess it it's supposed to be logical that way, but it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'll see. I've had a lot of requests for multiplication, so that's definitely something I've considered. Um, I do tutoring in a third grade classroom, and from what I've seen, fractions are just... Oh yeah, very very hard. You were you you were down and dirty in the in the trenches there. Yeah, a- absolutely. Fractions are fractions are bad. Fractions mm-hmm. are. And a once mess. you learn fractions, you never use fractions again. They go straight to decimals. So yep. you're always left like, what am I doing with this? <laughs> Why is there two hanging off of here? Can I swing <laughs> yeah. a sword with this middle part? I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And what's the difference between fractions and decimals? And you can have, you know, half of a cup of coffee and half of a pizza, and those are both half. But they're not actually the same thing because you, they're two very different things. And so it's like abstract and specific at the same time. It's really just like kind of a disaster for everybody all around. It's very hard to teach. It's very hard to learn. So that's a nice juicy design problem that I would love to tackle. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. If you could find a way to make multiplication tables fun, I think you would have cornered this market and <laughs> can, can retire – uh, fully as uh, a mathematical person slash wizard. <laughs> I think she can just make math fun in general. Like if you can hit all the high points, multiplication, division, divisions. That's that's the one I hate. Like I just Division's it's, tough. It's, yeah. I I bring out my calculator. I I always think about you know when you're a little kid. It's like well you're not just gonna have a calculator with you all the time. It's like actually I kind of <laughs> do. And thank God because I would be in yeah. I would I would be in deep stuff right now. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> do you think there's a way to work in the quadratic equation because that's oh, around the time that algebra lost me <laughs> well you know i really enjoy working with the younger group because i think it gets a lot harder as you get older because you're competing with so many more games for their attention so i think it would be incredibly difficult to make games to make math games for high schoolers because at that point they're playing like call of duty and, you know, my mathematical plane of awesomeness just really cannot compete with that. <laughs> well, that, that's actually um, just kind of thinking about trying to, to make math a, as core of a component as it is here uh, in something more like Call of Duty or something like that. It's, I, I think, kind of an interesting note because I feel like something that maybe sets this game apart from edutainment from the past is that even even the best edutainment games, it was like, here, do this fun thing, and now we're going to top it off by, you need to solve this math problem before you can get through the magical door. Yes. And like that, it was, it was never like, you do math to play the game. It was like, here, you play the game, and then we're going to throw math or a word problem or something on there. Uh, or it was just like really simple stuff like a crossword puzzle or, you know, hangman, essentially. Um, how did you go about actually trying to make the mechanic math? Whereas, like, you, you don't do math and then play the game, or play the game and then do math. Like, playing the game is doing math. Yes, and I have ranted about that exact problem many, many times to many, many people because it drives me nuts. And the the big issue with that is that we are functionally teaching kids that math is so boring that you have to be rewarded with little fun bits of gameplay just for getting through it. So I think that games that take that format, that flip back and forth between, you know, quote-unquote fun gameplay and then what's basically like a calculator, are functionally hurting kids' intrinsic motivation to do math. Mm. Um, So that was one of the big, big issues that I saw with a lot of these quiz-based games that are currently in the App Store and from the very beginning knew that I wanted to create something where the core mechanic itself was math, but it was strategic, it was engaging, and math was a tool. Instead of math being something that blocks you in the game, something that you have to get past, 
math is the tool that you use to do amazing things. Math is your magic. Math is how you rescued the entire kingdom. Um, so I don't have like a formula for, <laughs> you know, how do you make great math games? But for me, it was really just the design process of sitting down with my paper prototyping kit and committing to this idea of making something that mechanically was was math, but was also um, just an engaging set of gameplay mechanics. Very cool. So if, if you make a second math game, mm-hmm. it, do, do you think it will continue with count or you know, uh, addition? Or is there another realm of math you would like to actually try to tackle? We'll see. I, I kind of need to do some research for the next game to figure out what makes the most sense. I had been thinking fractions, but I've gotten feedback from so many parents and teachers that they'd like to see multiplication. Um, that That's definitely worth considering as well. I think what I'll probably do is, again, just sit down kind of with my prototyping kit and play around with both of those ideas and see what what comes out of it. You know, can I make something that's equally as engaging as the Counting Kingdom for multiplication, um, for fractions, for division, and kind of just see what what ideas emerge? I'm definitely planning on sticking with math for now, um, you know, unless some amazing opportunity comes up from somewhere but math math makes a lot of sense um but we'll see we'll see i have a lot of ideas for what i could do but it need the ideas all need to be refined a little bit more awesome well fair enough <laughs> brian do you have anything else before we go into the end game no we can go we could do this so with we have like we explained before um we uh we like to end with a little bit of a questionnaire Mm-hmm. Um and uh you know it's it's uh it's not directly ripped off of James Lipton but it is directly ripped <laughs> off of James Lipton. Um but we you know we kind of aim it towards games. Really only like um, two of the questions are actually directly ripped off from James Lipton. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions. <laughs> two okay, two of the two, questions. Two. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, um, one of them is all... totally ripped off. The other one is modified. The others are just inspired. I'm going to start this questionnaire before it starts sounding a lot worse. <laughs> uh, so, uh, question number one. Um, who's your favorite video game protagonist? Oh, see, you told me this was going to be the first question, and I have had like half an hour to come up with a good answer. And then we uh, had other questions for you. That's how we do it. Yep. And then I got Throw the curveballs here. And then we, we actually even changed it. I, I said it was going to be just character, but it's actually hero. Like, who's your favorite protagonist? I like that we start the podcast with lies. Yep. right from the beginning (laughs) foundation of lies um oh my goodness i'm trying to think of what games i've played through recently so many of the games that i play really don't have like a very defined protagonist so like monument valley what is that little girl what is the girl's name does she have a name ida is that monument i maybe i don't I can look it up. I, we we can cut out this fact checking part if we want to. It's like... <laughs> I'm gonna go with Ida because I just love that game so much, and I honestly do not play too many RPGs or char- or games with like very defined <laughs> protagonists. I think you know my second option would have to probably be some sort of Mario character, possibly Princess Peach, possibly Rosalina, because um, I've played a lot of Mario Kart. And so I enjoy being a kick-ass lady in Mario Kart. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, second, uh, a uh, B portion of this question: mm-hmm. um, favorite kart style? Um, do you go motorcycle? Do you go like action kart? Um... Oh my gosh! So I have not played the most recent one, which is just an embarrassing fact for me. But <laughs> I played I played quite a lot of Mario Kart in college i had a group of friends we had probably 10 or 12 of us and we would have regular league events so we had like rankings for everybody and we would have ranked tournaments but this was gamecube mario kart so that's the most recent one that i really really played extensively um so unfortunately i have not played too much of the most recent one though it does look amazing that's fine but 90% of Mario Kart is still Mario Kart, so that, that, that experience really doesn't ever change. 
Yeah. But that's, that's fine. With the Wii one, I, I bought it and I was actually very disappointed in it because as somebody who does, um, power slides quite a lot, I feel like they really dumbed that down for the Wii version. I was, you know, I felt like kind of a little elitist about it. (laughs) They did. I, and I, I, I stopped using the wheel that they sent with it like immediately and just went to using the nunchuck to steer. Yeah. Uh, because I figured if they were going to give me the chance to um, drift the entire course, then I was just going to take it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so flipping the first question on its side, um, who is your favorite antagonist? Um, so I don't know if this counts, but I played halfway through um, Amnesia, A Machine for Pigs recently, hmm. and that creeped me out so badly. So I have no idea who the antagonist is there. I might be the antagonist. I'll I'm just put that whole game down. Yeah, really that's fine. Just yeah, personal antagonist against your soul. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that whole game. Mm-hmm. Also, oh, I'm gonna go with creepers from Minecraft. Yeah, done. Okay. okay. And here's why: because I love that game, but nobody told me going into it. Like I had this view of like this kind of utopian Lego game. I'm just gonna make stuff. Nobody told me that it's actually super creepy, and if you're playing it alone in your apartment while it's dark and rainy outside, and you hear that, that's creepy. Yeah, or even while you're digging, and you get the like, there's a song, you know, like some like not even next to you, but just like through the walls. Yeah, in your general vicinity, and they're probably gonna pop out from behind you because that would be the scariest thing they can do. Um, so yes, the creepers really, really creeped me out. They're very well named. The first time I played that, somebody had told me they were like, "Yeah, as long as you put torches down, they can't spawn in the light." So my play area was solid. It was like the sun. <laughs> but they can come into the light. They can. So and you totally just build safe. higher and go down. <laughs> yeah, fences are your friend. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, third question. Uh, what theme or element would you love to see more of in games? I am very excited to see more space-themed games. I think we are having a really awesome cultural resurgence right now, just in terms of general interest in space. Uh, like, we just landed, landed on a comet. On a comet! Yes. How amazing is that? That's an astonishing feat right there. Like... Very, very impressive, and I we are think... we are like two steps away from from using Bruce Willis as a as a savior in case we're <laughs> going to be hit by a meteor. We're almost there. We're basically there. We're basically <laughs> there. So I think we've seen in the past kind of four or five years a number of different really fun space games come out. Um, FTL obviously is a personal favorite, and I think moving forward we're going to continue to see that used as a theme. I would love to make a space game. I don't know if that's in Little World Interactive's future, but that's that's a, a personal goal of mine at some point. Space fractions. That fractions actually is space. very close to the idea that I have been rolling around for this <laughs> game. <laughs> Excellent. I'm sorry. I did not mean to pro- properly announce your game. <laughs> but you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, um, uh, we, the... we could cut that out, but we're not because yeah, we're, no. we're going to like claim to that in like a year. Or two. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> now it's like underwater fractions. It's the farthest away from space you could possibly go. <laughs> Magma inside the Earth's yeah. fractions. Magma fractions. <laughs> um, the second question that flips on itself: um, What theme or element would you like to see go away? I like to see go away. I would love to see fewer quiz-based educational kids games because <laughs> we have a glut of those. And it, you know, it's they have a role, like they have a space. I I don't think we want or need them to go away entirely, but we so desperately need better games, better educational games that are actually games. I'll ask the the TMZ portion of this question now. Are there any that you would like to call out? Personally throw the gauntlet against? Um, no. Okay. (laughs) I do not want to be that developer. (laughs) I had to to try. (laughs) Nope, sorry. (laughs) Go on the educational category. It's pretty easy to figure out, like, what's a high-quality educational game and what's not. I'll let people make their own minds up. 
uh, speaking of making minds up, you are already kind of you've made up your mind. You are living the dream. Um, mm-hmm. You have you you know you're making your own game, making your way in this world. Um, if you had the chance, rather through you know either through um, extreme success and huge buckets of money, or or magical wishes, or any other thing, would is there any other profession you'd like to try? <laughs> um, I would love to go to Mars. So astronaut. That's you, would you like to wait people. for other people to go to Mars first, or do you want to oh, be one of the first ones there? Yeah, I like. I would love to be maybe like maybe when I'm elderly and okay. ready to retire, and space tourism is a thing. At that point, I would love to go to Mars. Retire yeah, at the Mar at the Mount uh, the Mount Olympus Spa. Exactly. Olympus exactly. Spa, Mount Some Olympus. nice red mud baths. Yeah. You no. Know, great yep. view of Earth. I think that would be fantastic. So. Okay. Besides from astronaut, I think at some point I would be really interested to learn more. You know, even if I don't do this as a profession, I would love to learn more about design in other fields because my experience with design at this point is purely game design. But there are so many other ways that you can do design, whether you're doing product design, whether you're doing, um, you know, there's a myriad of other ways that this this thought process can be applied. And so I've always been very, very curious about that and would love to just be a fly on the wall at some of these design agencies just to see, like, what do they do? And is there anything that in game design we can steal from them? (laughs) (laughs) Can we learn anything from them to improve our own processes? Um, But really, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I I would still be doing this just at... A little bit of a slower pace. Just more comfortably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, next question. Um, ha- oh, this is a pre-question to the next question. Oh, Have you ever okay. seen Escape from L.A.? No. Okay. So uh, I'm going to spoil a little bit of the ending for you because you're <laughs> probably not going to see it. Okay. Um, Snake Plissken, played wonderfully by Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. um, ends up with a device... Um, that uh, puts him in control of EMP satellites that are circling the globe um, that with the push of a button will send us back to the non-electrical stone age. Oh, no. Um, You get a memo that says, hey, this is going to happen tomorrow. What game do you play tonight? (laughs) Wow. What game do I play tonight? Wait, so EMP, so this is wiping out all electronics? Or like... Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a real he's a real bastard. <laughs> wow. Let me tell you, just walking around Montreal, I had no data on my phone, and so the fact that I couldn't access Google Maps was, like, really stressful for me. Like, I didn't realize how much I've come to rely on Google Maps. <laughs> Luckily, you were in Canada, so if you had to ask anybody, they'd take whatever time they needed to walk you to wherever you had to go. And oh, then, yeah. like, give you a donut afterwards, <laughs> too, probably. <laughs> Jeez, Ten I bits and a coffee. Just so I can get the donut. I yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. That. Yeah. Take it to Tim Hortons and just sit down and have a chat. <laughs> Let me think. I I think I would go back and replay Braid. That is mm. one of my all time favorite games. I think it is so beautifully done. And what I really love about Braid, besides kind of all the obvious amazingness, is how the story and the mechanics align together in a really amazing way in really the vast vast majority of games there is no kind of underlying theme that is supported by both the story and the mechanics you know you can get first person shooters that have really really interesting stories but then you're still just shooting zombies in the head so the mechanics aren't necessarily kind of supporting the story but in braid you have this you know amazing fairy tale story about this man who wishes he could undo all of the mistakes he's made in this relationship and lo and behold you have these mechanics where you can undo all of the mistakes that you made and if you recorded a playthrough of braid and edited out all the parts you rewound it would be a perfect playthrough of braid but it would be it would be lacking it would be very boring and sterile and you know it wouldn't have his relationship it, <laughs> yes. Spoiler alert. Like yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, so that to me was just um, art on a level that I would love to see more of in games. 
secondary question to that. Um, do you think Jonathan Blow will ever finish The Witness? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I so badly hope so. I'm sure. I, I haven't been following the development at all. You know, if he needs to take his time... I oh, he's taking his time. <laughs> because I would rather see Jonathan Blow's next game in, you know, as good of shape as he can make it. And if that means I need to wait a couple more years, you know what? I am perfectly willing to do that. Yeah. I agree. There's there's plenty of good games out right now. Yeah, it's, okay. it's actually going to be a launch title for the next generation of consoles. Right. We just <laughs> don't know that yet. Sounds Despite good. the fact it was promised for this generation. So. <laughs> yes. We we never have a drought of games to play. No, that, well, yes. yeah. These summers have been okay the last couple of years. You know, especially if you're looking at the indie game scene, there yeah. are so many things coming out at such an unbelievable constant pace. I just picked up a handful of games tonight. I just played the Yogg for the first time. Have you guys played that? That's crazy. That Yogg, oh, The Yogg is great. I, very cool game. I'd heard about it, but I'd never really seen it or played it. Um, and so I'm very, very excited to pick that up. But yeah, there's like a never-ending list of amazing indie titles that I just wish I had enough time and money to play all of them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so final question. Uh, at the end of our lives, uh, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom... And Toad is waiting with the book of our deeds. Um, what do you want him to say to you? Wow, this got really profound. Yeah. This wow. We like to end on a on a deep thought. I and normally it gets answered with your princess in another castle, and I want to throw something. <laughs> but if that's your answer, that's totally cool. We don't judge. Oh. <laughs> Except secretly afterwards. No, let me say, as a woman in the games industry, <laughs> that whole trope is something I'm I'm over. Um, I would love to be remembered as a loving person who was kind and valued family and friends. And, you know, I, I work immensely hard on my games, but I'm also trying to find a good work-life balance because that's very important. So I would love that. I would also love to be known as somebody who created amazing educational games that had a positive impact on kids. Um, so yeah, I think that that would be good. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much. You've, uh, you've passed. Excellent. Uh, that was game. There's no, there's no reward at the end, but your own knowledge oh, that okay. you've, uh, you've succeeded. Do, 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 um, do, do, do. Like, like many before you, but, uh, but like none others since. So, <laughs> Good job. Uh, Jonathan, take us away. Take us out. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to us about Counting Kingdom. If you thank could, you. If you could send us out just by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about your game. Absolutely. You can learn more about the Counting Kingdom at CountingKingdomGame.com. It's currently available for iOS, PC, and Mac. It can be found on the App Store, on the Steam Store, and on the Humble Store. Fantastic. Well... Thank you so much once again, and uh, have a good night, and best of luck as you figure out you know, how to put fractions in space. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.